Good morning, church. I love and appreciate you so very much. Thank you for being here in the auditorium or gathered with us online. We love you. We appreciate you. And again, I tell you, I've told you before, but I, I say that every week because I want you to not go a single week without hearing that you're loved, that you're appreciated, that you are treasured. Because I know that there are probably people sitting in this auditorium right now or people that are watching online right now that question that. Question whether or not they're loved by family. Question whether or not they're loved by friends. Question even whether or not they are loved by God. And especially this time of year. And, and we're talking this month about the, the crises that we go through this time of year. And it isn't, it isn't as though the holidays create crisis. But I think that what it is is that the holidays tend to be a time where we do a lot of comparing. Isn't it? It's really hard not to compare during the holidays. We compare what we have to what other people have. Or we compare our family situation to other people's family situation. Or we even compare our own situation to the situation that we had last year or five years ago or ten years ago. It may be that we have a, a spot at our table this year that's empty. And it's really hard not to compare what is right now to what was in years past. And that comparison, comparison compounds a crisis, doesn't it? Comparison makes a crisis even more difficult. Comparison compounds a crisis. When we've lost something or when we're struggling with something or we don't have something, that's hard enough, but it makes it even more difficult and more challenging as we compare what is, what we have, to what other people have or what is for us, to what used to be for us. And when we make those sort of comparisons, it's really hard not to feel inadequate or incomplete or insufficient. And it would be, it would be easy enough to simply say, well, then don't compare. Don't compare your situation to what it was. Don't compare your situation to what other people have or to what other people experience. But, but I'm not here to make you feel guilty for comparison. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty or ashamed for feeling inadequate or incomplete or insufficient. In fact, in fact, the story of Jesus is good news for those who feel inadequate and incomplete and insufficient. The gospel is good news for you. If you feel inadequate, if you feel incomplete, if you feel insufficient, the gospel is good news for you. And the gospel account of Luke, especially, especially the way Luke loves to tell the story of Jesus, it brings to the forefront, it brings to the surface that the good news about Jesus is good news for the inadequate and incomplete and insufficient, for the 
poor, for the brokenhearted, for those that the world has relegated to second-class citizenship. The gospel, the story about Jesus is good news for you. And it starts, it starts with a man named Zechariah who's ministering as a priest in the temple and the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and he tells him a bit of good news. That Zechariah's wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby and that this baby is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah and even though she's old and even though everybody thought that she was barren, she's going to have a baby and this baby is going to be a messenger for the Lord and even though Zechariah is mature and older and experienced and wise and religious and priestly, he doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe the angel of the Lord. And because he doesn't believe, he's not allowed to speak until the baby is born. And then by contrast, Gabriel comes to someone else. Comes to not a priest, not in a temple, not in the beautiful and elaborate and impressive city of Jerusalem. But the angel Gabriel comes to a poor young virgin girl in the incredibly humble village of Nazareth. And that's where we're going to read this morning. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, now make sure we're, we're reading this right. It says, O, o favored one, not O favorite one. <laughs> Gabriel is saying to Mary that you are favored or that you have found favor. Not that you're God's favorite, not that you've done anything special or impressive, but you are about to receive favor, or another word for that is grace. You are about to receive God's unbelievable, amazing grace. God is about to bestow favor on you and blessing on you and grace on you that you can't even wrap your mind around. That's why you are favored. Now, I think we have to say right here at the outset of this story that Luke doesn't say what he says about Mary so that we will venerate Mary, so that we will lift Mary on a pedestal. He says what he says about Mary so that we will identify with Mary. Especially, especially for anyone who has ever been made to feel inadequate or incomplete or insufficient, if you've ever been made to feel that you don't measure up or that you aren't important or that your situation makes you less, anyone who has ever been relegated by the world into a place of second class or unimportance, Luke, more importantly, the Spirit of God, wants us to identify with Mary, because God is about to do something amazing, something gracious. He is about to show favor to someone just like 
you. If you've ever felt inadequate and incomplete and insufficient, this story is for you. Because it's not about Mary's goodness, it's about God's goodness to Mary. Let me say that again. This isn't about Mary's goodness, and we're going to see she has plenty of goodness. But this isn't about Mary's goodness. It's about God's goodness to Mary. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's greatly troubled. She's confused. She's perplexed. Oh, favored one, why is the angel of the Lord appearing to me? Why me? Why me? You see, the the gospel is for people who ask that question. Why me? Why me? Why would you show favor to me? Why would you show grace to me? Why would you bless me? Why would you want me to be a part of what you're doing in the world? Me? Do you know who I am? Me? Do do you know where I've been? Me? Do you know how unimpressive I am? Do you know how inadequate I am? Do you know how incomplete I am? Do you know how insufficient I am? Me? You're talking to, to me? The gospel isn't for people who say, of course me. Why not me? Of course you'd come to me. Of course you'd talk to me. Of course you'd choose me. Of course you'd pick me. The gospel isn't for people who say, of course me. The gospel is for people who say, why me? Why me? And of course, Mary is troubled and confused and perplexed. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? Now, now, Mary's question, as we'll continue to see throughout this account, is not a question of doubt, but a question of curiosity, a question of detail, a question of saying, how, how could that work out since I'm a virgin? But our question, our being perplexed in these types of situations, where God says, I want you, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in Collin County. I want you to be part of what I'm doing in Plano and McKinney and Frisco. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in North Dallas. I want you to be part of what I'm doing in the world. Our questions tend to be ones of doubt, don't they? They they tend to be ideas and doubt and, and being troubled, thinking that maybe perhaps our situation, who we are, and how inadequate we are, and how insufficient we are, and how incomplete we are, precludes us from being part of God's special plans for the world. Not me. I'm I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too weak. 
I'm too poor. I'm too whatever. I'm divorced. I'm not married. I'm single. I'm this. I'm that. I've got kids. I'm busy. I've got this. I've got that. And we tend to think that our situation precludes us from being part of God's special plans for the world. And again, this story isn't meant so that we venerate Mary, but so that we identify with Mary. And all those who are poor and lowly, those who come from humble estate, those who ask, why me? Those who ask, why me? Those who who might be tempted to think that our situation precludes us from being part of what God is doing in the world. This story is for us. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's not going to be by your power or even by your marriage or your relationships, but this is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. Verse 36, and behold, and that's a pretty important word for this story, and behold, behold, look, Think about, see, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. The angel tells her, behold, I want you to see what God is doing in the lives of other people. I want you to see what God is doing in the life of your relative Elizabeth. Because even though she's old, and even though she's been called barren her entire marriage, her entire life, even though nobody could think that God could do this in her and for her and through her, her situation does not preclude God from using her for his special purposes. And that means God is not restrained to use you for his special purposes, Mary. Your situation, even though you're a virgin, it doesn't preclude you from being part of what God is going to do. In fact, God is going to use your unique situation so that he can work in you and through you. Nothing will be impossible with God. And that, again, that's true for all of God's people. It doesn't mean God's going to give you whatever you want or you can do whatever you want because God's on your team or, or God's on your side. But it does mean that whatever your situation is, that you don't have a particularly unique situation that precludes you from being part of what God is doing in the world. You look at your life and you say, I'm inadequate. I don't measure up. I'm incomplete. I'm insufficient. I don't have what other people have. I can't offer what other people can offer. I'm not as good as them. I'm not as strong as them. I'm not as old as them. I'm not as young as them. I'm not as married as them. I'm not as whatever as them. You look at your situation and you think that precludes you from being part of what God is doing in the world. But again, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus is for anyone who feels and who looks at and who recognizes their own life and their own being as being Inadequate and incomplete and insufficient. And Jesus says, the angel says, God says, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. He can use you in your situation.
Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Those are powerful words. Again, this isn't to venerate Mary, but it's so that we identify with Mary and even so that we imitate Mary. This, this is exactly the kind of people Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for the poor. Jesus is looking for the brokenhearted. Jesus is looking for the incomplete and the inadequate and the insufficient. People that say, me? Why me? How me? Can it be me? Why would you show me favor? Why would you give me your grace? Why would you love me? Why would you recruit me? And people who will believe it and who will say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Think about what nine months. She's surrendering that. She's surrendering her body. She's surrendering her life. She's surrendering her family. She's surrendering her heart and her affection. She's surrendering, as we talked about last week, her honor and her dignity. People are going to whisper about her. People are going to think things about her that aren't true. People are going to accuse her of things that aren't true. But she says, I am the servant of the Lord. And I give you my body, and I give you my dignity, and I give you my honor, and I give you my life, and I give you my heart, and I give you my future, and I give you my past, and I give you my present. Whatever I am, whatever you can make of me, whatever you can use of me, I'm yours. See, that's the kind of people Jesus is looking for. Mary gets to be the first Mary is blessed because she gets to be the first to carry Jesus. But she's certainly not the last to carry Jesus. Is she? She's not the last to carry Jesus. Because the Spirit asks you to carry Jesus in your mouth and with your hands and with your feet and with your life. He asks you to surrender your body. He asks you to surrender your dignity. He asks you to surrender your life. He asks you to surrender your heart. He asks you to surrender your affections. He asks you to say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, when he, when he asks you to carry Jesus into one of our classrooms to help teach and help instruct young people. Is this your response? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or do you say, well, my situation precludes me from being very helpful or useful in that situation. Or when God asks you to carry Jesus into your workplace. Or when God asks you to carry Jesus into your school. Or when God asks you to carry Jesus into your neighborhood. Or when God asks you to carry Jesus into your family. Or when God asks you to carry Jesus into wherever. Do you say, well, my situation, I don't know. I can't really be very useful. I can't be very helpful. I'm inadequate. I'm incomplete. I'm insufficient. Or do you say like Mary, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God doesn't need you to be a different age. He doesn't need you to be a different gender. He, he doesn't need you to have more money. 
He doesn't need you to have a different marital relationship. He doesn't need you to be in a different situation for him to use you. He can use you right where you are and right who you are and right where you have and what you have if you will be willing to say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word. And then verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She hurried down to see Elizabeth. And she could have been going for all kinds of reasons, and I've been thinking a lot about this text the last few weeks. Why did she go to Elizabeth? Could it be to help Elizabeth in her old age with her pregnancy? Yeah, maybe so. Could it be because Mary herself had questions, maybe even fears, confusion? Could this, could this be? Is God really going to use me? Or maybe it's as simple as she's doing exactly what the angel of the Lord told her to do. Behold, go look. Go see what God is doing in your relative Elizabeth. Go see how he's using her in her old age. Go see how God is using her in her barrenness. Go behold as evidence that if God can use her in her situation, then God can use you in your situation. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Do you see? Elizabeth is asking the same sorts of questions that Mary is asking. Why me? Why me? You see, God is using both of these humble women in very different situations. One, a young virgin. One, an older woman who has been barren her entire marriage. And he's using both of them in their unique situations. And he's using them because of their belief, their trust, and their humility, that they would ask questions like this, why me? Why, why me? The mother of the Messiah is coming to my house to see me? And, and do we see, church, the favor and the grace that God has bestowed on us? And this is the kind of question we ought to be asking. Me? A Gentile, an American in the 21st century, knowing what I know and doing what I've done and been, being where I've been, and you would, you would let me be part of what you're doing in the world, God? Why? The, the, the Father, the God of the universe, the creator of all that is, would allow me to be the temple of his Holy Spirit? Would allow me to take the message of his son, the Messiah, the king, on my lips, with my hands, with my feet, to my family and my neighbors and my coworkers and my fellow students. God would want me to do that. Why me? And God said, I'm glad you asked. Why me? Because that's exactly the kind of people that Jesus is looking for. It's exactly why he used people like Elizabeth and Mary it's exactly why he wants you to identify with Mary and Elizabeth and to be like Mary and Elizabeth. 
Verse 44, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is Mary, and especially in contrast to someone like Zechariah, in spite of his age, in spite of his priestly service, in spite of his experience, in spite of his wisdom, he didn't believe when the angel told him what God was going to do. But you know who did? Mary did. And she's blessed because she believed that God would and could use her. So don't you imagine that if Mary had any questions, if Mary had any concerns, if Mary had any fears that this moment of showing up at Elizabeth's house and her older relative, as soon as she steps in the door, she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she testifies to who her child will be and to who Mary's child is and will be and will do. That if she had any fears or concerns, if she had any questions, they're answered in a moment and her concerns are turned to praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. See, God could have chose somebody who was wealthy, or well-known, or well-connected, but he didn't. He chose someone who was of humble estate. Why? Because that's what the gospel is all about. Because the gospel is all about the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that's why he chose Mary. Because she was poor. Because she was humble because she was lowly, so that he could exalt her, so that he could lift her up, so that he could bless her, so that he could bestow his favor and his grace upon her. And she wasn't the last of the humble servants of the Lord to be blessed and to be favored and to receive this honor. She was the first, not the last. God continues to lift up the humble, to lift up the broken, to lift up the poor, to lift up those who say, I'm inadequate and I'm incomplete and and I'm insufficient. And God continues to show us favor and grace and our soul magnifies him. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, in in doing what he did for Mary, God has already started to do what he is going to do for the whole world, making the last first and exalting the humble. Listen to the words of Mary. Think about the things that through Jesus, God is doing these things. Mary is in this prayer, in this song, in this Magnificat, she is declaring the gospel. 
that God is, through Jesus, one scattering the proud, exalting those of humble estate, filling the hungry with good things, sending the rich away empty, showing his mercy, keeping his promises to his people. This is what God, through Jesus, is doing. And Mary gets to be the first, the first to carry Jesus, the first to experience being God's favored one. And you get to experience that too. You say, well, what if? What if I'm rich? What what if I don't feel inadequate? What if I don't feel insufficient? What if I don't feel incomplete? Then the message of the gospel is to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift you up. Realize that whether or not you feel it, you are inadequate and you are incomplete and you are insufficient. Until you recognize that, until you admit that, until you confess that, you can't experience the good news because the good news is the good news for the inadequate and the incomplete and the insufficient. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But here's what Jesus does. The gospel turns our feelings of inadequacy, the gospel turns our feelings of inadequacy into praise and dependency, right? That's what he did for Mary. That's what Jesus does for everyone with whom he comes into contact. He takes our feelings of inadequacy and turns them into praise and dependency. So that we say, I am inadequate, I am incomplete, I am insufficient, I am poor, I am hungry. And he turns all of that into praise and dependency where we say, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. You can have my life. You can have my body. You can have my allegiance. You can have my heart. You can have my affections. You can have my honor. You can have my dignity. I belong to the Lord. And my soul magnifies him that I could be called his favored ones his blessed ones, his recipients of grace. So there's the question, isn't it? How will we respond to the good news? Will we respond like Mary? Will we, maybe we could say, no, no, I I just, I can't believe that God would want me to carry the message of Jesus in my mouth with my hands and my feet in my life, with my family and my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers and my classmates. Or will we say, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And allow our feelings of inadequacy to be turned into praise and dependency. How will we respond to the good news of Jesus? I know that this morning we already have one that's prepared to respond to the good news of Jesus, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be forgiven, And to pledge his life to the future. To say to the Lord, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And maybe there's somebody else this morning. And you've been toying with the idea and thinking about the idea. And knowing that you need to be baptized into Jesus. You you know you want to be forgiven. And you know that the life 
of discipleship, of following Jesus is the life for you and you're ready. You're ready to turn yourself over, to surrender yourself to the Lord. Now's that opportunity. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement after service. In the back, there is a prayer room and our elders would love to meet with you there and pray with you there. Or right now, you could come forward as together we stand and sing this song.